You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. We're starting a new series. We'll take the next six or seven weeks and work all the way through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. First Sunday of a new year is a good time to start a new series of reflections on the Bible. And I'm excited about this series because it pulls together two major themes that show up all through the Bible, and especially in the letters of Paul, and especially in 1 Thessalonians. Those themes are holiness and hope. For Paul, those two themes are ingredients in the recipe for a healthy church. Holiness, how the people of God live today, and hope, what we can expect Jesus to do in the future. Those two themes are kind of behind the title of the series, People of the Day. The day in 1 Thessalonians, we'll see this as we read through it, is the day Jesus comes back. And you hear Paul say, we're children of the day, we're people of the day, we're defined. That's who we are. We're the people who hope in the Lord who's coming. But that's not just something that happens later. It shapes the way we live now. Do our lives look like people who hope in Christ? For Paul, the word is holiness. And the holiness the church embodies, the transformation, the character change that the church lives points to our faith. And for Paul, those are ingredients in the recipe for a healthy church. Now when we're talking about what a healthy church looks like, the Thessalonians are a good example. The reason they're a good example is because we don't find in... 1 Thessalonians, any of the kind of things we find in some of Paul's other letters where he straight up calls people out for doing things they ought not be doing. Read through 1 Corinthians when you get an hour or so and you'll hear Paul say, stop doing that. Don't do this. I heard this about you. I can't believe it. Not even the pagans do that sort of thing. You don't get anything like that in 1 Thessalonians. In fact, Paul says, your ministry, your life together is an example for believers all over the region. Like they got good things going on. Now, here's the thing about health. Being healthy now doesn't mean you can ignore your health tomorrow, does it? In fact, the people who are healthiest today and who will be the healthiest tomorrow are the ones who are constantly paying attention to it, aren't they? Many of us may be thinking about that now that the holidays are over. We've got to be paying attention to our health a little bit more than we were the last four or five weeks. I love the language of health when we're talking about church. I like to talk about church health more than church growth. Sometimes when we talk about church growth, which is, in, I mean, Jesus, when he gave the Great Commission, was intending for his church to grow. He didn't want those 12 guys to be the only guys who were doing it, or 11, I suppose, at that time. He wanted them to make new disciples so that the church would spread all over the world. 
But sometimes when we lock into church growth, we can get distracted from substance. Not always, but sometimes. When we talk about health, we get the whole package. We can talk about, hey, are we communicating the gospel in a way that new people are coming to meet Jesus? I mean, we're in favor of new people meeting Jesus, right? And are we paying attention to our structures and how we make decisions and how we organize ourselves for ministry and do we have healthy systems and does the thing that worked when we were one size work for the next do we organize in one season of ministry the same way we organize in another season of ministry what's going to be the healthiest strategy for the context we currently live and exist in When we talk about health, you can be healthy and still pay attention for where you need to be healthier. You can be healthy and talk about how you need to maintain your health. And that sort of shifts the conversation away from, well, are we growing or declining? And are we distracted or are we depressed? And those kinds of things. So when we come to 1 Thessalonians, we see a church that's healthy, but they got some room to grow. There are some things we'll find out later on, particularly about what they think about the future. They've got some misunderstanding about how Jesus is going to raise the dead when he comes back. That's coming up in chapter 4. There's some things they need to work on, but by and large, it's a pretty healthy congregation. And it's a healthy congregation because God is at work in them. In the opening verses, Paul mentions three things that are going to define any healthy church. Maybe you noticed. Faith, love, and hope. He says, I thank God for your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are three things that Paul is grateful for. He's going to focus the first chapter, the verses we just read together, on faith. What is living faith? What is Christian faith? How does it work? How do you get it? Where does it come from? And for Paul... Fruitful faith, healthy faith, authentic faith is always a consequence or a result or a response to God's grace. And so he celebrates the work of God among the Thessalonians and he celebrates their response to God's work in the form of their faith. It's bearing fruit, he says, in their area and in the region. For Paul, gospel grace cultivates fruitful faith. God does the work, His people respond, and it bears fruit. 1 Thessalonians 1 through 10, the bottom line, gospel grace cultivates fruitful faith. Now what does gospel grace look like? What is going on there? The foundation for Paul throughout the Scriptures of all fruitfulness for the people of God. Healthy churches that are have people who are growing in their relationship with Jesus and connecting new people with Jesus. Healthy places where people are following the path of discipleship and worshiping God together and connecting to to grow together and serving alongside one another in their community and around the world. Our places, those kinds of things happen because God works graciously among us. We don't come up with a good strategy because we're really bright. We don't come up with... Uh, 
great mission opportunities because we've just got the intuition and got the plan. Right? We don't come to Jesus because we're particularly well suited for it. It always starts with the grace that comes through the gospel. There is no faith apart from grace that calls it forth. So for Paul, he affirms in verse 4, the work of God's grace among the Thessalonians. He says, we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God that he's chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you, not in word only, but in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, right? So before Paul ever talks about the work, their, 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 their work or their example or their fruitfulness, he talks about the gospel. Before he ever talks about how well they're doing and the good things that are happening and how they're persevering against opposition, before he ever gets to those kinds of things, he says, when I showed up and started preaching the gospel and God went to work, the Holy Spirit's power was evident. And he says that happens through the gospel. Right? The gospel comes to you not with mere words. We know about mere words, right? Ever heard mere words? Mere words are the kind of things that lack power and significance. And really, for Paul, it's everything else other than the gospel. The gospel has the power to rescue people from sin and death. Conversations about college athletics don't. The gospel has the power through the Spirit to convict and convert people. Conversations about national politics mere words. We talk about all kinds of things, and a lot of them are very important. We need to give our time to a nation that's well-run, to a community that's well-run, to you know, sports, entertainment. Those aren't bad things, but we need to understand that if all we give ourselves to are mere words without ever giving ourselves to the gospel, then we miss the most important thing there is. The good news that Christ died for us, that God raised him from the dead, and that through faith in his name, we can be reconciled to God. That gospel, the message of Jesus, is God's instrument of his grace to transform lives. So Paul puts it up front. This comes first. Gospel grace. And if you don't have this for Paul, you ain't got a church. It doesn't matter what the sign says. If the gospel is not the heart of the fellowship, it's not a church. If the good news that Christ died and was raised for us to redeem us and reconcile us to God, that He came to give us life, if that's not the heart of it, it's not a church. Right? What's the difference between the United Way and the United Methodist Church? Both do lots of charity and good things. The difference is the gospel, the sacraments, the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Christ, and the declaration of that through the words of the gospel. Everything else, mere words that lacks power. So we can talk a lot about a lot of things, but there's only one thing one person that transforms us 
transforms our lives, transforms our community. And it happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verse 4, in verse 5, our message of the gospel. So maybe you can picture this in your mind. Paul, uh, some of the later sources, says he had a unibrow and he's a little bow-legged. So kind of short guy, unibrow, bow-legged, kind of dark-skinned because he's Jewish. Imagine him strolling into the marketplace in Thessalonica. And uh, we don't know if that was accurate or not, but that's what some of the texts say. So if you need a good visual image of Paul, there you have it. He strolls into the marketplace. He meets up with some people. Maybe he goes to Jewish community, or maybe he goes in to some of the other people who uh, are, share the same trade as him. And he starts talking about this Jewish guy named Jesus uh, and how he preached about God's kingdom and how the Roman Empire killed him and how God raised him from the dead. And you can imagine people saying, Paul, that's the craziest story I've ever heard in my life. What? Like, that's miles away on a, in a different country across distances. We're over here trying to make some tents in Thessalonica, you know, just make a living and live our lives, and you're talking about some Jewish guy we've never heard of who was crucified as a criminal and God raised him from the dead? It's ridiculous, Paul. You can imagine what the response would be. But Paul found when he told that story about Jesus, people began to experience something different. They began to experience, he says, conviction. They began to realize their distance from God. Now, if he showed up and just started saying, hey, did you catch the game yesterday? It's pretty good. Surprised the ending, kind of, I didn't see that coming. Right? Is anybody going to feel conviction of their sin in that conversation? Is that a fine conversation? Sure. We talk about it. It's fine. I want us to see the difference, though, and why we must prioritize the gospel. Because when the gospel is spoken, the Holy Spirit promises. Like, this is the word of the Spirit of God to the people of God. If you talk about Jesus, I'll convict people of sin and draw them to Him. And if you don't, I won't. That's serious. That is stunningly serious stuff. The Holy Spirit says to us, you talk about Jesus, I'll save people. You talk about other stuff, well, you got other stuff. Those things are there. Paul says, I showed up, I started talking about Jesus, and lo and behold, the Holy Spirit came around and started convicting people of sin. They started feeling their distance from God. They started longing to be drawn near to God. They started experiencing the power of the Spirit. They were reconciled to God. Their sins were forgiven. Their lives were transformed. This is your story. And they've become a different kind of people. They gave up their idols. They serve a living and true God. They hope in Jesus who's coming back. Everything changed because of the gospel. Christ died. Christ was raised. Life is in Christ. We've got to be able to articulate that. That's why we're doing a small group on evangelism. <laughs> right? Evangelism is just the word that means how you talk about Jesus. Right? Do I talk about his death and resurrection? God come in a human body and lived a perfect life and offered Himself on our behalf? Because the wages of sin is what? Death. 
So when he died, he takes the wages of sin on himself. And if he takes all the wages, are there any wages left for me? Praise be to God for that. No. That's what forgiveness looks like. And reconciliation. And it's the first step on the path to human wholeness. First step on the path to human wholeness. And if we, like, here's the thing, friends. If we can't articulate it, you know, go home over lunch and just everybody practice asking each other the question, what's the gospel? And see how many of us kind of look at each other like, nobody's ever asked me that before. I've never tried to articulate it before. What is the gospel? How do we? Is it God's love? Well, God's love has a lot to do with it, but God's love by itself isn't the gospel. God's love in Christ crucified and risen is the gospel. There's a lot of churches and pastors that talk a lot about God's love and never mention the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We don't have God's love until we get the cross and Easter. We haven't seen it. We haven't talked about it sufficiently. The gospel is the heartbeat of everything. You want to be health. We want to be a healthy church. The gospel is the heart of it. One reason this is a healthy church is because we're committed to the gospel. I've been in a lot of churches, and I think, as best I can tell, of all the churches I've been in, this fellowship of people is about as committed to the gospel as anybody. And that's a joy for me. And I hope we get to do that together for a long time. Because I want to see, I just, I just want to see what happens when a group of people who love Jesus get together and give glory to Jesus and declare his glory and his grace and his beauty and his mercy and his sacrificial love and his resurrection and his sovereignty and his majesty and everything that he is I want to see what that looks like consistently done for the long haul fruitful ministry plow the same field as long as you can as faithfully as you can and just see what sort of fruit the Lord Jesus provides you think he'll do something I think he will He's got a good track record for it, going back 2,000 years. Gospel grace cultivates fruitful faith. We've talked about the grace, let's talk about the faith side of it. What is this faith? and like, What's the key to fruitful faith? One of the good ways to talk about what something is is by starting with what it's not. Fruit. Fruitful faith, authentic faith, real faith is not just kind of a list of beliefs I have in my head. Right? It's not a theological exercise. I'm a big fan of writing theology papers, but theology papers are not going to get you reconciled to God. Spending time reflecting on who God is and doing that kind of theological work will help clarify things and help our relationship with God. Help us be drawn near to him and know his best for us. But real faith is not just 
something I do in my head. You know, like I'm in school and I take a test and I've memorized, I, I've learned the answers and can spit them back out. You ever, we've heard that, that kind of length, right? Cram real hard all night long, show up for the test, spit out all the answers, make your grade, and you may not remember it the next day. That's not an analogy of Christian faith. Right? It's not cram for the test, spit it out, and we're good. Christian faith is confidence in Jesus to do for me what I cannot do for myself. If I could do it myself, I wouldn't need to trust him, would I? Like If I had the power to forgive my sins and raise my dead body from the grave, I would not need Jesus. Anybody got that? I don't see any hands. Don't raise your hand. It's not funny. Jesus is the only one who can do it. Like, nobody can forgive me but Jesus. Nobody can transform me but Jesus. Nobody can raise me from the dead on the day of His return but Jesus. No one gives eternal life but Jesus. And faith is saying, Jesus, I don't have what it takes. Nothing in my hands I bring. Only to Your cross. I cling with everything I've got. Like, I don't have what it takes. You have to do it. That's faith. And that's why faith isn't a work. It's not like, hey, I've got the faith, now you do what you're supposed to do, Jesus. The more faith I get, the more you'll do. That's, that's not, it's not a transaction. It's me saying, I'm just going to go lay on my face and pray because I don't know what I, I don't have what it takes. How many of us don't have what it takes? This is where all the hands should be up. <laughs> like the first one, no hands. This one, all hands, okay? Faith is saying, Jesus, I can't accomplish, I can't work my way into it. I can't smart my way into it. I can't get into it because of my reputation or my family's history in the community. Like my, none of that gets me anywhere with you. So you have to do all the work. And when we come to that place, right, where we just come up and we say, you know what? I give up. I'm not, I can't do it. My life is yours. If it's going to be anything, you're the one that's got to make it that. We do that. We surrender, surrender to Him. That's when He begins to produce fruit. And that fruit looks like transformation. It looks like a move from greed to generosity. From self-love to other-oriented love. It looks like a heart that just is poured out in love for God and neighbor. That's what Jesus said. And then it begins to produce fruit. Because if my heart is poured out in love for God and neighbor, I'm going to talk to my neighbor about what God has done in Christ. <laughs> And remember what happens when we talk to our neighbors about what God has done in Christ? The Holy Spirit shows up to convict and convert powerfully. And then our faith is deepened and others is initiated. And the church begins to expand throughout a community and throughout the world. And the great that's how the mission happens. So what does fruitful faith look like for Paul? 
Fruitful faith is faith that produces a life worth imitating. Take a look at uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, you became imitators of us, right? So Paul has a fruitful faith. He's planting churches. And the Thessalonians begin to imitate him. His fruitful faith is worthy of imitation. And when they do that, what happens? Despite opposition and persecution, we'll talk about that in another sermon in the series. You receive the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's the Spirit working powerfully again. And you became an example. To everybody in the air, Macedonia, Philippi, that's where Philippi is, if you're thinking about geography. To the Macedonians, to the people in Achaia. Here's what he says, right? When you trusted Jesus, when you stopped trying to control your salvation, when you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ by imitating our faith, you began to have a faith that other people could imitate. That's what fruitfulness looks like. Faith that bears fruit in new believers and deepened believers. Fruitful faith is evangelistic. We've already talked about evangelism somewhat. Paul says, verse 8, the word of the Lord, right? It's one of the ways he talks about the gospel, has sounded forth from you. Not only in Macedonia, that's the Philippi area, and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known. Like, people are talking about what's, what God is doing here. Because you have proclaimed His Word, the Word of God, the Gospel has sounded forth. And you know what I want them to say about Hope Hole United Methodist Church? I want people to say, the Gospel has sounded forth from Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If that's all they ever say about us, I'll be fine with that. Amen? That's the only thing that matters. I want the gospel to sound forth in Louisiana. I want the gospel to sound forth in, on Fairview Avenue. I want the gospel to sound forth on the Capitol. I want the gospel to sound forth in Guatemala, in Africa. I just want people to say the gospel comes out of that place. And if that's the reputation, and if that's what we do... On the day that Jesus comes back, we'll hear those words, well done. That's what he cares about. That's why we exist. And all of our fellowship, all of our gatherings, the meals that we enjoy, all the, the richness, the community, all of that is for our wholeness as agents and representatives for Christ in the world. Like, that's the point. The glory of King Jesus abounding throughout creation. That's the point of everything. And He's chosen us to be His representatives to do. It's our job. And if we don't, the Holy Spirit says, you can talk about something else, the Holy Spirit says, but don't expect me to show up if you're not talking about Jesus. Fruitful faith is evangelistic faith. So take the evangelism small group. <laughs> Do it. Fruitful faith is welcoming faith. Verse 9, For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you. How you turned to God from idols. The Thessalonians heard the gospel. They believed in Jesus and they welcomed Paul. 
Many of you have read uh, about maybe about a year ago or so, I think a bunch of us read the little book, Becoming a Welcoming Church. Anybody remember that? We might ought to pull it out and read it again. <laughs> if you have one, pass it to someone who hasn't read it yet. In that book, it's written by a guy named Tom Rayner. He's from Union Springs. Lives in Nashville now or near there. And uh, he says there's a difference between a friendly church and a welcoming church. Ever think about that? Friendly churches are where everybody's friends. Welcoming churches are where new people are invited into those friendships. You can have a friendly church where everybody's friends and somebody new walks in the door and not a single soul talks to them. I'm real glad that that's not, <laughs> let's not be that. I don't think we are. A welcoming church is the kind where we're all paying attention so that when somebody walks in that we don't know, hey, I'm Matt. Don't you want to come sit with me? We got a spot over here. What if all of us are looking for those kind of folks? so that we can become agents of Jesus' love. Does it commend the gospel when we ignore people we don't know? Or does it degrade the gospel? Yeah, it drags the gospel through the mud. And it's scary, I mean, it's it's not as scary for me probably because like it's my job. (laughs) Like pastors, right? We mob people when they walk in the door. But it can be intimidating to walk up to somebody we don't know. It can also be intimidating to walk into a church for the first time ever. You don't know where the bathrooms are. Don't know where the nursery is. Don't know if you're sitting in somebody's spot. Can we commend the love of Jesus by saying, hey, this may be a little uncomfortable for me, but I'm going to go and make sure that person knows we're glad that they're here to worship God with And I think a lot of times, it's not even on purpose. We come in and we just, you know, talk to the people we always talk to. And honestly, when you get over 100 people, you don't always notice if there's a face you don't know. Which means we have to work even harder. Because we want people to know Jesus and grow deeper in his love. And one of the best ways to make sure that happens is by that welcoming presence and spirit. So I want to challenge everybody. You get here next week, you keep your eyes open for somebody you don't know. And know that when you engage them, ask about their background, family, job, whatever, that you're commanding the gospel. Here's another one. Here's a way to be welcoming. This one's radical, though. It's only for serious followers of Jesus, okay? You see how many empty seats there are up here at the front? I told you this is, this is radical. Like, if you're not serious about Jesus, just plug your ears. You don't want to hear this. You can be a welcoming church by sitting on the front row. Right, because think about it this way, if you were walking into a building that you'd never been before, and maybe you're two or three minutes late because like, one kid lost their shoe, that never happens, right? Uh, <laughs> it only happens on Sundays. Um, 
and you show up, and the back two-thirds of the room, everyone shoulder to shoulder, they are now, <laughs> and the front three rows are empty, and you got kids with mismatched shoes, you don't want to sit on the front row. You want to be as inconspicuous as you possibly can. Let's just sneak in and sit down, and hopefully no one will notice that my socks don't match. But that's absolutely impossible. Sorry, back row folks. I know I'm picking on you. but Some people we send to the back so they can greet folks, but you see the dynamic here. So next Sunday, you can say, we want to be a welcoming congregation by making room at the back for people who may walk in for the first time five minutes late. I told you it was radical. Only serious followers of Jesus are going to do this. We'll see what happens. Gospel grace cultivates fruitful faith. Fruitful faith is repentant faith. Paul says at the end of this passage, you turn from idols to serve a living and true God. We had a confirmation class back in the fall. And we had some of the students stand up and illustrate repentant faith by walking one way and stopping and turning around to walk the other way. Right? Repentance means turning from things that get my attention over Jesus. You turn from idols to serve a living and true God. That's conversion. That's what the Spirit does. That's the transformation that happens. That's the change. And when that happens, right, when you turn, you can know that God's grace is at work. And you can know that His grace is beginning to produce fruit through your trust in Him. Gospel grace comes first. Fruitful faith is our response and consequence of it. We're going to come to the Lord's table now. That's how we start the new year. And we're going to receive his grace. My prayer for us is that whatever grace he works in us in this time will be translated into fruitfulness from this point forward. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.